Hi, everyone, and welcome to this special episode of the Passive House Podcast, recorded in Terrytown, New York, at the FiasCon 2021 Passive House Conference. Before we get started, I want to thank Fias for putting on the conference and for coordinating with us on these interviews, as well as NYSERDA for serving as conference partner with Fias and community partner with us here at the Passive House Accelerator. Thank you, too, to Rockwell North America, their generous support underwrote all of these interviews, as well as our coverage of the conference. With that, please enjoy my interview with John Wolfling of Datner Architects. Hi, I'm here with John Wolfling of Datner Architects. He's a principal at Datner, and I'm really honored to be able to sit down with you and hear about your work, your incredible 425 Grand Concourse project, and your impressions of the conference. So welcome. So I, I just presented earlier today. Um, it was a good crowd. There were lots of questions. Uh, it's actually my first Passive House project. Wow. And, um, what a way to start. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, I like to do things big. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> so it was, you know, 275 <laughs> units or 277 units yeah. of all affordable housing, uh, over 300,000 square feet, 26 stories. Uh, my firm, uh, specializes in affordable housing. Um, but this was a real opportunity to take that specialty and that expertise and then overlay it onto it, a whole other series of complexity and issues and, but it really, it made a lot of sense for the project because the location, the location is in the South Bronx. And the South Bronx is one of the worst zip codes in the United States for childhood asthma rates. Uh, yeah. So when we pursued this project with our developer, Trinity Financial, they, there was a competitive RFP that was issued, issued by the city. And one of the things that Trinity wanted to do was make themselves and make their proposal stand out. So they wanted to have this, in, this environmental equity aspect of the project. So that is, you know, in addition to the design that we came up with and some of the other, you know, the mixed use component and the all affordable, uh, that was one of the um, kind of subtleties to Passive House that was really important. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad that they, that they brought that to the table because it really, it opened up my eyes to the opportunities that Passive House has, that the, the synergies between Passive House and multifamily housing, when you've got all of these people with high usage of appliances, electronics, lighting, just the bodies in the building, you can really benefit and leverage that occupancy and that density and the form factor and the, the skin to, to volume ratio. Right. So multifamily housing and Passive House go together so well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we really benefited from that. In my presentation, I show how the the envelope values are actually not that much higher than a code building. Uh, and that's because of the density. So it, it, the two really go very well together. Um, I think the project is, you know, for maybe a short period of time, it's going to be the largest passive house project in the East Coast. But then there's going to be like Sendero Verde, which is also in New York City. It's going to go higher and bigger. Anyway, it's, it's a kind of an arms race that I'm glad to be in. Um, with, uh, with, you know, who can do better, who can do more. Um, so I'm really excited about it. We've actually, we've also got three other passive house projects in the office. One that just came online. That's 248 units. Wow. All affordable. It's workforce housing. We've got, uh, and two other ones over in, in Brooklyn that are also going to be coming on, online about the same time. So there is this, uh, real traction that I think is being gained. I think primarily in municipalities for 
really dense urban fa- urban um, multifamily buildings. Uh, so I'm glad to be able to kind of be riding that wave. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, yeah, it really yeah. is. You know, I feel like every time we come together for a conference, there is a, a project or two that are sort of emblematic of where we're at as, as a community. And I feel like uh, 425 Grand Con- Concourse um, is one of those projects um, this year. Um, and it's also interesting just to see this continued legacy of leadership from the affordable housing world in, in passive house practice. The largest... Um, Passive House project in 2012 was at Orchards at Orenco in, at, you know, uh, west of, of Portland. I, maybe it was 2013. I don't remember the, the exact year, but I think that was a 59 unit, you know, project. Um, and so here we are seeing, seeing that, that legacy continue. And, uh, it really, I think, expands, um, well, all of our uh, kind of imaginations of what's possible, but, even more importantly, the the understanding of the broader world about the applicability of passive house to their work, you know, and it's so it. I mean, the legitimacy that passive house enjoys today is it just at a, a entirely different level than it was in 2012, for example. It, it works at scale so well. Yeah, and I, you know, I like to think about what what has occurred over the last five or six years is that at least in my little realm of the world, my bubble. Um, it really started, Passive House started as kind of a boutique thing that, you know, if right. you were of means, right. you could take that step. You could invest that yep. in your real estate, even though, you know, it may not have a broad appeal or, or knowledge. So it was really like a boutique brownstone sort of approach. But for all the reasons that I mentioned in the intro or, or what we were just talking about, um, it is just such a natural fit for these larger, dense buildings. And I have to say that I think um, municipalities, whether it's Philadelphia or, you know, uh, New York City or, or other places where they're really getting closer, whether it's through codes or other incentives that are really pushing um, for buildings and sites and projects that the cities or these municipalities have control of or some sort of say in what gets built. They're advocating for this type of performance. Uh, so I think there is some real leadership from government authorities uh, to, to be making these more possible. So if, um, how about like key lessons that you're taking home from the conference or other impressions uh, from what you've seen? Um, I think, I feel like we're, we are at a tipping point. I think some of the, uh, you know, the plenary, uh, you know, acknowledging that, you know, we have to do a better job of like selling this to developers and, and, and kind of speaking their language and kind yeah. of aligning what, the way we're talking about projects. I often hear the term product. Right. I don't think about the projects I'm working at, on as products. I yeah. think of them as, as housing, but some people look at them that way. So I think aligning those interests um, and looking at it from a dollars and cents perspective. And, and there's another, another presentation I was, was uh, listening in on. And basically it was, you know, if you're going to do passive house, make it as close as you can to what the local communities or the local trades are used to building. So there's less of that barrier, that hurdle that you have to get over to make it work for them, whether it's cost, comfort uh, in, in taking on that, uh, that additional burden. I mean, let's not fool ourselves. It is more complicated to build a passive yeah. house. Yeah. Um, so to lower that threshold for, your, for who really has to be your partner uh, in the project is a, is a good strategy. Yeah, great insights. 
Well, John, thank you f- so much for this I, f- and and for your work and and for sharing these these thoughts with us. And I, I think we I need to um, clear away all of this equipment from the stage because the star attraction Joe Steebrook is about to do the closing keynote. Um, but uh, keep, please keep up the good work. We really sure, appreciate thank it. You.